our nonprofit recently updated its mission statement, created a first-time vision statement, and also created core values. There has been lots of positive momentum throughout this process, and I'm wondering how to keep these statements alive. It's a great question because if you've got the momentum going, you don't want to lose it. And it would be interesting to brainstorm this, I think, with your your staff and and board members uh, about their ideas around it. So it's it's not just you figuring it out because they may have some creative ideas. Some things I've seen organizations do, uh, one thing I thought was really cool was an organization that would have, like when they had all staff meetings, there would be a process where someone could say, I just want to say I caught so-and-so living our values in this particular case. And it'd be like a round of applause or whatever. So it really kind of kept that alive. I think other really fundamental ways are um, if you really are serious about keeping it alive, it's about every decision sort of having a, a go back to lens of does this support and further our mission? Does this do this with our vision? Does this do this with our values? So whether it's a partnership, like you're you're figuring out what partners you want to connect with and build a relationship with to staff behavior and, and perform, performance evaluations, right? I, I say hire to your core values, um, coach, coach to them, evaluate to them, discipline to them. If it's serious enough to you, that's the way this works and mission and vision go with that. So how do you figure that out? And how do you make this more than, I think a lot of organizations focus this just on the staff and don't ever talk about this with the board again. And that is a missed opportunity as well. If your board's excited about it, brainstorm with them. How does that look? Is there an example of, of you hear about mission moments, which are pretty typical, but are there other ideas around that that you could do and share it at board meetings? And one other thought I have here is also, so many times you see these beautiful core values and you go, oh, that sounds so lovely. That's an idealistic world. And nobody knows what that actually looks like in action. And when you start to actually discuss, what does that look like in ABC organization? What does that look like day to day? We all know what we're up against every day. How does that value like manifest in the behaviors and and that we show around this office. And so when you kind of get into it a little more granular, I think people are able to have a clearer picture of what that looks like. So those are just a few of my ideas. You probably, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm pausing here, Andy, to think about what your reaction is <laughs> going to be. And I have a feeling you're going to say everything I said was bumpkiss and it's idealistic <laughs> and it's Pollyanna and it probably is. And I got a little bit of that in me, but I have seen organizations do this well. So I'm passionate about it. I, I And I actually agree with you. I, and I think if it's a really good mission statement and a good vision statement and decent core values, it's not just the nonsense that just gets generated when you have a committee come up with adjectives. Um, I think when when it's really, really well done, you need to make sure that you've got the through line of that mission statement, vision and core values through all of the things that you generate. So the strategic plan, for example, is a really good place to make sure that those things are in there and that you can directly connect the the values or your goal statement or whatever it is can connect that through to the mission statement and then have your whatever the mission statement or the sorry, the strategic plan 
whatever the strategic plan is talking about should reflect those things as well. Because if you just forget about it, if you just do it, you write it down, maybe you paint it on the wall, somebody does some nice calligraphy and it's stuck in someone's office or it's on the website. It's the only place you could find the mission statement in most places is the website, right? So if it's only on the website and that's the only place that exists, you're not really using it. It was just an exercise in adjective use. So, so you have to have figured out a way to build it into all of the systems in your organization, which is exactly, basically exactly what you just said, Stacey. So I agree with you. Try to shoehorn it in everywhere and try to get it, you know, make it almost amusing at how many times you've figured out a way to put your core values into some sort of document or the employee performance review process or your weekly all staff check-ins or whatever, right? Is if you can get that in the system and always being regurgitated, people are going to start to believe that you actually mean it when you say it. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. Welcome to Nonprofit Everything. The podcast where hosts Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding answer your questions about all things nonprofit. I am sitting here with my fabulous co-host, Andy Shirk, and we are here with another episode of Nonprofit Everything. We are so glad you're joining us. And as always, you, our listeners, are what make us get up in the morning and record this podcast because it is sometimes a heavy lift, right? Life gets in the way, work, all this stuff. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's already time to record another podcast. But you give us energy and momentum. Your questions give us energy and momentum. And with that, we want to encourage you to share this with a friend. We are always looking looking to increase our listenership. And we also are always looking for questions. So any question, no matter how big, how small, how complex, how crazy it sounds, we want to hear it. So you know where to find us. We're on social, nonprofiteverything.com. If you have our contact info, you can also reach us. So we hope to hear from you. Thanks. Andy, here's a question for you. We have been consciously diversifying our funding base and are very fortunate to be the recipient of several federal grants. We are starting to feel as if a grant accountant should be the next role we add to our team. Until recently, I did not know that a grant accountant is a thing. What is the role of a grant accountant? First of all, congratulations for getting to that point where you're receiving federal grants. That's a big step. And that's absolutely to be congratulated. So that's many organizations don't ever get anywhere near that. And, and, and receiving a federal, well, although nowadays, maybe that's not such quite, quite as, <laughs> as, as different as it used to be. It used to be like a federal grant was the last thing you'd get, but now there seem to be a few more out there, but that's still really, really good to be able to get those federal grants. And, and I get that sense that federal grants are sort of like level five, right? You all of a sudden you're in this, you're used to doing it one way. And then all of a sudden, oh, great. Now we're at level five and there's horror stories about how hard federal grant reporting is. And now we've got to do this whole other audit on top of our normal financial audit that audits our programs. And we're going to have state people coming and watching what we do. And it, it can seem really sort of scary and overwhelming if you've never done it. The good news, though, is that since you got the federal grant, you're already 80% of the way there. Because getting the application written in such a way that 
you've put everything in the right boxes, that you're not asking for things that you're ineligible to get. Uh, you've put the program section together such that you've got the right metrics that the whatever funding agency is looking for. That's a big step. And that's probably a, a huge chunk of what you need to do to be able to get to where you're supposed to go. So now you're at the stage where you like, all of a sudden we're going to get a whole bunch of money coming in. They're probably reimbursement grants. So we have to fill out what can be the most hilariously arcane Excel spreadsheet to be able to fill out the reimbursement form. Those can be really, really challenging, which is a long, long way of saying, I, I don't know of any normal sized organizations that have a position called grant accountant. That's it's, it's maybe mega organizations that are receiving huge amounts of funding, things like universities or, if you're a medical center and you've got lots and lots of different federal grants to juggle or a nonprofit hospital or something gigantic like that, then that might be a, a position because you need somebody who spends their whole time worrying about how are we going to classify all of these things and which bucket does it go into? Because we've got so many grants, we need to keep track of what specifically goes where. And the, the gotcha, the place that you end up getting caught is accidentally using the same expenditure to apply to two different federal awards. So if you accidentally over allocated somebody's salary and so 50% is coming from one grant, 30% is coming from another grant and 30% is coming from a third grant, you're over by 10% and you will get caught, which is what the, that extra single audit is supposed to be for. That's the audit to be able to catch things like that because it combines all of your programs together and it, it can, it can catch you in things like that. I think what might be, more useful than a grant accountant, if you're a normal sized organization, is maybe someone who's responsible for the entire flow of the grant from the beginning all the way to the end. So not just someone who's worried about the money, but somebody who's worrying about the application side of it. What opportunities are out there? Are we applying for the right opportunities? Are we receiving the right opportunities? Are we writing the right grants? When we write the grants, do we have the metrics in place that we're supposed to have? Are we following up on those metrics? Because a lot of times that's the hard part. The hard part isn't keeping track of the money because we always keep track of money. That's just how businesses run. You keep track of the money. You've got a bookkeeper whose job it is to keep track of the money. And there may be some finer shavings where you're keeping track of splitting you're allocating different expenses in a more complicated way than you used to. But that's what bookkeepers do. That's why I mean, nobody goes into that job like being grumpy about having to do complicated Excel spreadsheets. That's like, that's why they did that to begin with. They're probably really excited. <laughs> they are. They're, they're, they'll complain. But at the end of the day, they're like, did you see the macro I just wrote? <laughs> like, check out this mega formula that does this complicated thing, right? They're really, really excited about splitting things up that way. So if you've got a competent bookkeeper, if you've got somebody who knows how to do that side of it, I'd look at the full stack and see if you can come up with something that's going to take somebody 40 hours a week to do with in regards to your federal grant programs overall, because there isn't 40 hours of work. There's not even close to 40 hours of work when it comes to just accounting for grant stuff. Have you seen people outsource that function because it's not necessarily a full-time job unless you're working for one of these behemoth organizations you reference? On the front end, yes. So if you're applying for grants and you need somebody to help you with the budget, need somebody to help you with how do I, and I've never done a federal budget before. I don't know what I don't know. 
What, what, what am I not allowed to ask for? Because when I look at the guidance, it's like thousands of pages and I don't have that attention span. So you can ask somebody for help on those kinds of things. And I've seen that that's pretty common and the grant writing side of it too. That's pretty common. You may not have somebody who's a awesome federal grant writer and they're folks that charge an awful lot of money that'll do that for you because they get grants of the millions and millions of dollars and they've got a great track record. The on the the out the end of the process, a lot of the hard work's already done for you on the grant budget. So your bookkeeper's keeping track of it. The grant budget sh- explains to you because what you get back from the the agency that's funding you is you get back an award document that says, "Here's what we've given you," and they'll either regurgitate your budget back to you and say, "This is where you said you were going to spend it," or they will do something more complicated and give you something back that says, "This is exactly what I expect you to track." And so as long as you're following those instructions, you should be okay. There's no, there's no arcane science on the back end of keeping track of what things can be used for a grant that you've already received. It shows up as part of the grant documents that you already have. The one position I have seen that I think is more what may be practical for nonprofits who get a lot of federal or starting to get federal dollars is a grants manager or director of grants management, which goes back to what you said that is a much larger process than just the back end. And what I think works really well for organizations that hire a position like this is they're almost coordinating between several different departments and coordinating with finance team or perhaps even in the bookkeeper perhaps even playing a small part in that, then the huge coordination of all the program team of, okay, here's what we got the grant for. Here's how, what we need from you. Here's the tracking system, because a lot of this is organization and systems that once those get set up and people understand the importance and why it's important to to do it a certain way, it, it becomes almost an automatic process. I mean, of course, you want to make sure you're in compliance. So that position would make sure the compliance, the reporting, the if there was like a variance between between two items that were on your initial budget. I mean, I think all of those things, this position would help you with. Uh, and so that feels more typical than than the question about the grant accountant, because I, I literally have never met anyone or heard of anyone who's a grant accountant. So yeah. I'm just not, not swimming in a big enough pond, I guess. <laughs> yeah. We're not working with clients that are that gigantic. Yeah. And a lot of things that you're talking about too, is more on the sort of process side of it, of managing a grant. Cause when you think about your fundraising team may go out and get a grant from a foundation and the foundation says, here's the money we're giving you. This is what we're restricting it to. Here's when we want grant reports back. This is what they're supposed to look like. They kind of give you that full stack. And a lot of times the development team manage that, manages that. Like whoever, whoever got that grant is then the person that's also kind of bird dogging. We need to get this sent back to them with all the pretty pictures and data on the deadline. So, hey, finance team, get your act together. I need this right now. And then you for federal grants, it almost feels like because the a lot of times the development team isn't the driver on that one. It's because it's a bigger, more program related driver. There's a lot more coordination that needs to get done. And there are things that you never had to do for federal grants, too. Like, God forbid, you have to implement a a timekeeping system where everybody's filling out timesheets for the first time. Like if you've always done that, it's not a big deal to keep track of how much time you spent on that grant. But a lot of federal grants want you to do 
that. They want you to, everybody to fill out a timesheet. And now imagine you're going to your CEO and going, hey, you need to do a timesheet. So you need somebody that can be on that that says, look, we got this federal money. We have to have the timesheet. How can I help you figure out how to write numbers in boxes? Because we need that to be done today. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's the hardest thing to do. And having somebody whose responsibility is to know like, okay, here's my list of people I need to get timesheets from. This is the date I need them. And I'm going to go stand in their office and stare at them until they hand me that piece of paper. Because that's the only time, the only way that thing's going to get done. So having having that role, I think, is way more useful than having somebody who's just going to move numbers around in a spreadsheet. And really explaining, because people who don't do this don't understand why they think it's ridiculous, just like we all think it's ridiculous, but they, they but there's like no appreciation for the seriousness of it. And here's the consequence if the timesheet isn't filled out or here's the consequence if this doesn't happen. I, th- I think someone who can educate people around that can also be really beneficial. Before I lose my on a board member, what does it really mean for a, quote, nonprofit to run more like a business, unquote? I think the person who wrote this may need to have some therapy or meditation. Oh no, just scream really loud. Like just, just get that anger out. Actually go to a kickboxing class or like a boxing class, get a punching bag. I used to do that, but by the way, true confession, which is a little crazy, but I would just be like, I'm taking out all my anger on the (laughs) punching bag. And so next time you stupid board member says that like, bam, anyway, sorry, I diverged. But the point is, um, I feel your pain. So I just want to start with this by saying I feel your pain and it is really obnoxious and frustrating. And it's something I think any of us who've spent any time working in the sector or for the sector in some way have heard at least 10 times, right? It's it's so common, so common. So, I mean, my first thing is, okay, so I'm not going to, I could go off on my tangent and I probably will at some point go off on the tangent and the soapbox that is like running in my mind through this question. However, I mean, I, I think what people are missing that board members are missing when they ask this, right. They're they're talking about results, results, financially results with metrics and, and impact and, and having sort of the infrastructure and systems and oh, that's and that sounds great. And all of us in the nonprofit space would love all that stuff, except that's not how the nonprofit space is set up. And so we are in this weird conundrum of okay, we have funders that could take as long as both in major gift donors, grant funders that could take up to nine months to get back to us on a decision. So we're sort of in limbo there that that doesn't happen in business. We've got a board of directors who tends to be risk adverse. And so we're not able to actually pilot or try new things because we have a board that as fiduciaries are trying to do their job, right? And oh, and then there's the overhead conversation. Don't let's not even get started on that. The fact that nobody wants to fund overhead and it's some weird, shameful thing in the nonprofit sector. That business, you don't ever hear anyone talk about that with business. So anyway. Ah, I need to take a deep breath myself because I'm <laughs> feeling wound up from this. But I think what's happening is people who say it, say it with the best of intention of trying to think of some of the best business practices and all this, this, the stuff that businesses have that nonprofits don't. 
And the reality is, is in many ways, the nonprofit model is not set up that way. So we are comparing apples to oranges. They are comparing something that is working, you know, brilliantly for the, for the businesses in some cases. And, and also just, you know, and, and that nonprofits don't have that same, I don't know, that design and the way all the, all the stuff we talk about and that we've ranted about before on this. And, you know, and then, and then the other thing is, is, and I know this is probably what the person who wrote this is thinking, how many businesses don't survive, right? How many businesses go out of business? How many businesses have been in scandals we've all heard in the media? So, so, so in some ways it's just, it would be fun to be able to really share what you think. Uh, and so I feel your pain. And I think maybe you're looking for some, not for us to actually answer the question, but to <laughs> let you know you're not alone. <laughs> yeah. So Andy, what what do you think? Am I off base here? No, I think honestly, what would be the most helpful for this, the most cathartic is to start a meme contest of, I, and I don't know what the phrase is, but I'm imagining something that says something to do with running your nonprofit like a business and how absurd that is when you really think about it, when the words are in that order, because one of the things that I think, I mean, to try to answer the question in sort of an honest, truthful way is what, what does that board member actually mean is it's impossible to say, because what they've done is they've identified something that makes them uncomfortable. And they're using this phrase as like a shield to protect them from having some cognitive dissonance about, well, I'm supposed to be in charge of this thing and I don't actually know what it was or how it works. So one of the things that we see very commonly that's a side effect of this exact thinking is over-reliance on gala events or the attempt to design some sort of consumer product that the nonprofit can then sell because then it feels more comfortable to the board member who is very uncomfortable asking someone in the community for money in exchange for exactly nothing but a good feeling. Because that's what it comes down to, is they're just darned uncomfortable. And they don't know that we're really talking about something, just like you said, it's it's apples and oranges. It's We're talking about something that's completely different. And there's some really fundamental differences. One is the only reason that you would ever become a nonprofit to begin with. The only reason that out of the infinity business models that are out there is because none of those other infinity business models are economic. They do not function. You cannot run a food bank, for example, as a for-profit. That's called a grocery store. <laughs> That's already a thing. And it does not serve the purpose that a food bank serves. So you have to have, you have, to have that in your brain to begin with, that we're talking about something that is fundamentally non-economic and may be what that board member thinks of as the word business, which is I'm going to sell you something and you're going to pay me for it. And we're going to have a profit. And then we're going to reinvest that profit in the business and do more. So, so if that's what they're thinking of, if that's when they say the word business, if they're really thinking of this, I'm going to sell you stuff business model. So they've already got a, a mental problem that you're not going to be able to help them fix because it makes no sense in context. The other thing that makes no sense in context, so this is number two, is that we, I've talked about, I think I talked about this relatively recently when we had a question about cash flow, is when you ask someone, what's the purpose of a for-profit business? Why does it exist? And the, you know, the Milton Friedman answer is the purpose of a business is to make profits for its shareholders. So 
I know I have some issues with Milton's proposition there. I think he's got he's he's missed the point, but he's dead and he's hard to argue with now that he's dead and people kind of, you know, drag his corpse around and shake it at people like that's the only answer, um, which is totally a tangent, which I would, don't think I should get into. <laughs> so that's oh, this is the yeah, there's so many problems with that. You know, like what about the environment or the people that you're serving or the community or <laughs> infinity other sort of <laughs> externalities that you seem to have forgotten about? What? Shocking. So, but if you take it down to like sort of what the root purpose of a business is, it is, you know, at least a significant chunk of it is to make money for shareholders, for people who are investors in that business need to make a profit on that investment, right? Well, that doesn't have anything to do with nonprofits. There are no investors. The investors, at least in the model that we use in the United States, is the investors in a nonprofit is the United States. It is the people that live here. They are the owners of this organization and the board is the caretaker and the governance activity for that organization. But the point of it isn't to make money for the United States. The point of it is to serve some sort of social purpose, 100%. And those are two totally different things and don't make sense. Like Milton Friedman would be confused. He would just be like, I don't, that doesn't, I don't understand. <laughs> His corpse is confused now. Um, so, so that's different, which means that you know, from the cash flow side too, the the point of it isn't to like make as generate as much profit as you can. The point of it is to generate as much liquidity as you can so that you can continue to do your activities. Liquidity is not something, and that's a complicated thing for a any normal board member to understand is to say, look, you may be thinking about this in the concept of trying to make a profit. We can't do that. It doesn't make any sense. What we're trying to do is we're trying to generate liquidity. And so all of the tools that are available to us to generate liquidity are the ones that we should be talking about and not the ones that generate profit, because that doesn't make any sense in this context, unless the profit contributes to liquidity, which it may, but a lot of times it doesn't. So, so there's two really big fundamental differences between a for-profit business and a nonprofit business that make, that make people that are used to running for-profits very confused until you explain it to them in words that they understand. So that's it. The other thing I think is that this, I've heard this sentence come out of people's mouths when, when they, they expect sort of a base level of competence in organizational management. Things like, do you have an employee manual that's been reviewed by someone? Does it have all the things that are supposed to be in it? Do you have a conflict of interest policy that makes sense? And is everybody ad adhering to that? Do you have IT security policies that prevent you from losing all your client data to whoever? So, and, and this is, as you said, this goes into the overhead piece of it, right? This is only, these are only things that you can buy if you have time to buy them. And most nonprofits are not there. They're, they're baby organizations that are working as fast as they can. And they don't have people just standing around going, you know, what organizational problem should I fix today that totally fits under overhead, isn't funded by any grant that we have, and that donors have explicitly told us they're not interested in funding. So, so that's the conversation to have with the board member when they say that is to maybe dig into when you say that, what do you mean? What specifically do you have an issue with? Because it's either you for not getting it, or it's also you for not giving us the resources to get it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in some ways you could look at it as a great fundraising opportunity, right? This person says it, you ask them why, you dig in a little bit. What do you mean by that? What does that mean for you? And then you say, well, 
I couldn't agree more that we need more infrastructure and we need more people and we need more expertise. And we, oh, professional development, what's that? I mean, right. nobody funds that. So great. If that's important to you and we, it's important to us, the model doesn't generally allow for it. So please help make it happen for us. Like it would be great to see, like, I would love to be a fly on the wall. Yeah. I was going to say, I would, I would want Stacy to help soften my language because my, my reaction to when someone says that is usually to roll my eyes so far back into my head, they think I'm having a seizure, but the, like the need, you need Stacy to be able to soften the request. So that it isn't just like, what do you mean? <laughs> right. In the angriest possible voice. <laughs> Exactly what do you mean by that statement, sir? <laughs> oh, we all need this. So I think just it's therapeutic because these are the things that that many of us feel on a regular basis. And sometimes there's no outlet. So I hope if nothing else, this gave you a little bit of an outlet and you know you're not alone. And a very practical, this is not a punching bag idea. Although you could use the punching bag after work hours. <laughs> Take one of those little worry stones or like those little rock, like a little rock full of good energy and just keep it in your hand. And I don't care if you squeeze it to death, but something so that when that happens, the next time it. you see that board member, right? <laughs> you've got something to keep you grounded because that, that kind of stuff, it just gets wearing and tiring in the sector. Hey, you have leveled up. You just got 356 experience points, which has allowed you to get another level of nonprofitness. So you are now at your next nonprofitness level. Congratulations. That is good for exactly what you think it's good for. Uh, thanks for listening to the <laughs> podcast today. Uh, we appreciate you taking your time. Send us your questions. We would love to answer them. Um, send us questions. Here's a fun thing. Send us questions you think other people don't know that you already know. And see if we get it right. Like maybe you can send us something where you know the answer and it'll be like a, like a quiz and, and see if that works. And you could send them. There's a form at nonprofiteverything.com or you can get us on. We're at, at nonprofit everything on most of the social medias and you can get us there or there's a discord too. You can try that.